0: Welcome to episode 55 of Telepractice Today with Kim Dutro-Allen and Dr. Todd Houston.
1: Okay. Welcome back to another episode. And I last week shared some of um, the fun things I'd been doing to kind of get through the end of the school year. And last week it was kind of language focused. So I wanted to share another one that's more articulation focused. That's an, another fun activity. So one of the things that I found from Stacy Krauss was she had this list of um, called I think it's speech libs articulation companion was the resource. And it breaks down um, by articulation sound the different parts of speech. So you can use it with like a mad libs game. So, and I had done that before, but I had always like struggled to try and figure out a good way to kind of go back and forth between two screens, being on um teletherapy and trying to use, you know, fill in a mad lib and then go back to the screen where they had their words. So this time what I did was I actually used um there's a mad libs. Free app that you can get on an iPad or on a phone. And I so for my kids, I just had their list of words up and told them what word they needed to use to fill in and like had them say it five times or something like that to get more practice in. And then I would just type it into my phone while they were doing it. And then it was when it was they were done, I um just shared my phone screen. And if you are on Zoom. That's really easy to do if you have an iPhone and an Apple that you can just screen mirror. It's really seamless. Um, and I, but I also figured out I have another program I use. But what I did was I went into Zoom. I shared my phone screen on Zoom. And then I went into the other computer program or the web system that I use um, with another one of my platforms, and then I just shared the screen from Zoom. So <laughs> it's kind of like sharing the screen from a shared screen, but it works. And I know that's a tip that um, that they've given for uh, on GoGo Speech too. For if you're on a system that doesn't use a green screen, then you can use that. You can share that green screen in a Zoom, and then just. Sh- share your zoom screen and whatever other program you're using, if it still has sc- screen share. So that was really fun for my Arctic students to do a little Mad Libs thing. And, um, my, my nine-year-old daughter told me the other day that for the summer, we should do something fun with our podcast. <laughs> her idea oh. was to, yeah, yeah, her, her idea was to do, um, tongue twisters, but okay. <laughs> that was great. Okay. But um, so, to maybe make her happy and do something fun, I thought I would read one of the Mad Libs that one of my students came up with. So, she was working on the CH sound. And the title of this one is Family Rock Band. Um, this says, I don't come from your average cheerful family. It's because we're part of the Mitchell Family Rock Band and we lead a very immature life. <laughs> For example, by not shaving his children every morning, my dad saves enough time to practice the chipped drums. My brother doesn't participate in extracurricular checkers at school because he plays the electric nachos. (laughs) My chili sister doesn't have time to date cheeseburgers because she sings lead vocals and practices for four or five hours every challenge. When I'm not writing our chewy songs, I'm tickling the charts on the keyboard so I don't have any free time either. Finally, mom is our rich manager. She books our band to play at weddings, choppy 16s, and pitcher mitzvahs. (laughs) Maybe someday if we practice unnaturally enough, we'll get to make a music video for HTV that plays sold out. And play sold-out shows at uh, Madison Square Keychain. That's great. Yeah, yeah. So there is a tip if you want to use Mad Libs in your sessions. Go and get um, Stacey's list because it has all of the parts of speech broken up for you by speech sound. And that makes it so much easier and a fun way to do it.
0: And which Stacey? Stacey.
1: Stacey Krauss.
0: (laughs) Krouse. Friend of the we,
1: show, I should say.
0: <laughs> friend, our friend of the show, yes, Stacy, <laughs> who I still don't know when she sleeps with all the stuff she's producing right. and <laughs> everything that she's doing. It's it's amazing, uh, but all great material. So yeah, go get it. Um, on the show today, we have actually a, a colleague of, of of mine and someone I've known for a number of years, uh, Barbara Hecht. And Barbara is with the Clark Schools for Hearing and Speech, uh, and she directs the Boston campus, I think, uh, is where she is located. But they did a recent uh, national scan on state early intervention telepractice policies. And so it's going to be great having her on and hearing more about what they found in terms of early intervention telepractice and what some of the states were doing, how they regulated it if there are any regulations at all and seeing how it's all going at the moment.
1: Yeah. It's so different from state to state. And so she's going to give us a lot of that information.
0: Yeah. Here's to Barbara. Hi, it's Todd Houston. I just wanted to reach out to you, our really talented, wonderful listeners that we have and just ask you, If you want to join us, yes, would you like to be a content creator for the 3C Digital Media Network? We need you. We need content creators to come and join us. So if you have a blog, a webinar, a course, or maybe even a podcast that you'd like to do, we would love to speak with you. So please, if you have some ideas... Email me at Todd, T-O-D-D, at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com, and I'll reach out, and we can have a conversation. And so hopefully we could have you develop whatever you'd like to develop and work with us. Again, Todd at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com, c and I will be in touch. Now, back to the interview. So, Barbara, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Can you give us a little bit more information about your background and how you arrived at Clark?
2: Yes, I'm happy to. Um, I actually grew up in the Boston area, and then um, my husband and I made our way to California for grad school and uh, beyond, and uh, I, my doctorate is actually in linguistics and uh, with a specialty in child language development and child language disorders. Um, and I spent the early part of my career as a professor of special education. Through my graduate students, I actually learned about deaf education and uh, found my way to um, a center in Los Angeles called John Tracy Clinic, um, which specializes in working with families of very young deaf and hard of hearing children. Uh, John Tracy Clinic had a long history actually of providing distance learning to parents. Mm -hmm. It was called a correspondence course in the 1940s and 50s um, where parents wrote letters back and forth to to specialists. Uh, But that gradually became a distance learning program for parents. And um, in my my time there, we also uh, started one of the first distance learning programs, training teachers of the deaf. And uh, so I was working both at the very young end Mm -hmm. (laughs) and the the adult end in distance learning. Um, A great opportunity arose for me to return, uh, my husband and I to return to our roots in in New England. And um, for the past 10 years, I've been uh, the director of Clark's Boston area campus. And uh, when I arrived at Clark, um, Clark is now about 153 years old um, and uh, quite, quite a venerable institution uh, that was embarking on something quite, uh, seen by many as quite radical. And that mm-hmm. was to, um, to look at the possibility of providing telepractice for birth to three uh, and for our birth to three families. And so when I arrived with a little bit of um, remote learning in my, in my DNA, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, I um, took on the role of one of the leaders of that, uh, that project. And so we um, just a little bit about Clark first Clark um, provides early intervention services, preschool and early childhood services and mainstream support services to Students who are deaf and hard of hearing who are in their um, neighborhood schools, <clears throat> and um, we do that at, in uh, four states across five campuses. Uh, but the opportunity to kind of dip our toe into the water telepractice came up um, in Massachusetts and our two Massachusetts campuses in partnership um, with an organization in Connecticut, and uh, so we actually um, did quite a bit of homework we had a foundation that was was willing to dip the toe in in the water with us Mm -hmm. and um and so we uh we offered our first telepractice session officially in i think january of 2013 so uh that was that was kind of how it all started Mm -hmm. and um i would say and i'm sure this must be true of many many practitioners um we were a little skeptical about telepractice. We weren't sure if we would be able to establish uh, relationships with, with parents through the screen. Um, We weren't sure if we could really deliver uh, the same quality of of services to families. And many Mm -hmm. of our, um, many of our staff were extremely skeptical uh, when Mm -hmm. we first started.
0: Well, Kim and I got started uh, together at Utah State University. She was uh, one of my graduate students there. And we started uh, in a, basically it was a feasibility study to look at early intervention services for kids with hearing loss. And we had these, you know, really large Tanberg units that were point to point that we put in the homes, (laughs) were huge things. And uh, with a monitor and all of that. And, and, with that in what you're talking about. because we were skeptical, we were doing a research study. We didn't know if it was going to work. We didn't know if we could build the same level of rapport. We didn't know if we'd see progress with the kids. I mean, we it was sort of let's try it and see what happens kind of attitude. Uh and and fortunately we, you know, <laughs> the rest is history, but we we definitely saw the the benefit there. And not only from the, you know, professional side of things, but the parents just love Having that service available to them,
2: right? Well, we we really found the same thing. Um, the interesting thing to us, actually, was that the um, the more I'll, I'll just say the more experienced among us uh, mm-hmm. were the most worried about using the technology, and we thought mm-hmm. that that our younger staff, who you know had been skyping and, and communicating that way for quite a long time, we thought they mm-hmm. would be the early adopters. And in fact, it worked the other way, um, mm-hmm. and I—I I, I bet you found that too. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. You have to have a certain level of confidence, I think, in your um, in your abilities as a <laughs> practitioner to um, to do the kind of coaching that's really required in in uh, in this modality.
0: So well, when we we started that project, and then that evolved into a school that was set up and early intervention program in school sound beginnings, which is at Utah state university. And we had hired, uh, an SLP who Kim and I both know very well. And, um, and I had that same thought, here's this younger, vibrant SLP who's going to jump onto this technology and just run with it, you know, mm-hmm. Not the case <laughs> at that time. Right. Uh, she struggled with it and just said, I, "I'm not going to do this anymore. It's, you know, it's not for me." You know. Um, so, at the time, it was it wasn't a good fit. Now she works for a telepractice company <laughs> and doing <laughs> doing it <laughs> full time. Never.
1: Um, never say never. <laughs> that's
0: right. That's right.
1: You trained
0: um, well. <laughs> yeah. uh, so you just never see, I mean, but at the time I, I had the same thought. I thought, you know, this young person, and I was just looking at the technology aspect of it. Right. They love technology. You know, they're going to jump right into this, but I think you're right. You hit on something that maybe she, I don't know. I didn't really uh, dissect exactly what was going on. I, I know we just had to get someone else at the time, but you know, it could have been just not feeling comfortable with those services and with, parent coaching especially
2: right so when we when we started this project there were there were two things actually and and uh, some of the work that you had done um todd at at utah state was really helpful to us we reached out to colleagues in australia because australia had actually been um, providing teleservices for quite a while they you know the Talk about Mm -hmm. a rural, (laughs) a rural Mm -hmm. area. Um, One of the people I spoke with said that it, you know, it took her five hours on a plane ride and then four hours Mm -hmm. in a jeep to get to, you know, the sheep station where the (laughs) family lived. So that wasn't going to be a viable way of providing services. Um, We um, we really did look at at um, what we could learn from everyone around us and see what how that could be adapted to, to our community where we certainly have rural areas in, in Connecticut and Massachusetts, where we started, but we actually found, you know, urban areas can be just as daunting. It's it, you know, traffic, mm-hmm. <laughs> traffic makes it really difficult to, to sure. get to someone's house or for the family to come to us. And um, especially public transportation can be daunting with a, with a baby or toddler. So we, we really uh, started out deciding that we wanted, um, we wanted to evaluate the project. And so we partnered with uh, the University of Massachusetts Donahue Institute as our external evaluator. And uh, they began with us when we started designing the project and uh, they're still working with us on on evaluations of various aspects of of our telepractice. Program we call our telepractice T visits um, Mm -hmm. and uh, that it's an acronym visits is virtual intervention services for infants and toddlers Um, and uh, but we really had this vision that home visits and center based visits would be supplemented by T visits and so from the beginning we were hoping to get the kind of data that would push public policy. people in our area to accept telepractice as a, a viable way of delivering services.
1: And then COVID happened and then they had to <laughs> accept it where they, where they wanted to or not.
2: Right. Right. Exactly. What? Yeah. So, so, uh, we were very fortunate and I think most of the people in, in the deaf and hard of hearing field who have been providing telepractice have been doing it primarily with, uh, Private funding with grant funding and foundation funding, um, because of the uh, the landscape uh, was a little uncertain for how how to get public funding. But we um, we decided that once we saw how successful this was and um, mm-hmm. how how much it improved not only access but even things like um, reducing missed appointments. You know, mm-hmm. um, we we found that. Uh, When we looked at at our telepractice visits, we really had more than a, you know, 95% show rate Mm -hmm. (laughs) as as compared to to in-person. But really, more importantly, we found that all of these things we had worried about really weren't big issues. Um, Parents and and our professionals both uh, said that they really felt that they were establishing very good relationships um, and um, that and parents, I think in one of the studies, ninety seven percent of the parents said that they had uh, learned new skills that they could carry over in everyday activities. Um, they loved the fact that that it was more accessible. You know that services were more accessible. Uh, so once we knew that that um, both the professionals and the parents were were seeing huge advantages, Then our next um, hurdle was to figure out how to move the policy needle. And um, we worked in in Massachusetts um, and New York. We were making some headway. In fact, Massachusetts Department of Public Health, which is our Part C um, lead agency, they uh, agreed to a pilot project that was initially for one year and then extended to three years where they actually provided funding for us to do um, T visits. And in New York, we were having some similar success in getting policymakers to, to pay attention. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we we started meeting with, with them and asked them, what do we need to do? How can we how can we get to the next step? Um, and they said that really it's going to come down to insurers who provide a lot of the basic, you know, support behind the scenes. Um, Medicaid and then private insurers are going to be key if, um, if this is going to be a, a you know universally reimbursable practice. And uh, And so we said, okay, that's fine. what do we need to do <laughs> what do we need to bring to, the, um, to to these discussions And they said, you know it would be really helpful. To have a sense of um, what's happening nationally. So if lots of other states are doing this, uh, Massachusetts and, and New York, where we were starting, don't want to fall behind. They don't want to mm-hmm. look like they're and so if you can gather some information for us about what's happening across the country, that would be really helpful. Um, right. And yeah. And that's the point at which we um We had this great opportunity to team up with uh, Brown University's um, public policy program. Mm -hmm. Um, And we um, we found two wonderful graduate students in that program who worked with us full time for three months um, as part of their master's program, gathering information um, and helping to put together the recommendations that we were going to make to our state. So that's how that national scan came
1: about.
0: Well, just yeah, looking through it I'm very impressed with
1: yeah, and it's difficult with early intervention that it is so different from state to state. I did early intervention both in North Carolina and in Utah and now am licensed to do telepractice not necessarily through in early intervention in Idaho and California as well. <laughs> and everything is so different from state to state and I am pretty sure that in Utah, we don't even bill private insurance for early intervention services. And in North Carolina, that was a big source of mm-hmm. the funding for early intervention services was private insurance. So it's hard to um, keep track of and to know what's going on. So this was a nice study that summarized what is happening in each state.
2: Yeah, it's it was actually amazing to us how how much of a patchwork (laughs) there is right um and um you know we we knew that each state had had sort of different different criteria and even whether there was any telemedicine legislation or tele anything legislation
0: Mm
2: -hmm. uh, differed quite a bit but what we found was that um yeah in states like massachusetts in, uh, public insurance in particular really helps to fund early intervention through our department of public health. And then the department of public health is considered the payer of last resort. Um, mm-hmm. but even in that case, even when the department of public health, for example, wanted to move forward, they needed to figure out a way to get insurance to, to agree to pay. Um, mm-hmm. And so that was really our, (laughs) that was our conundrum. Mm -hmm. We found, you know, in some States like in California, where I spent so many years, um, there were informal deals that were set up with Medicaid, but it wasn't even statewide. It was Mm -hmm. um, County to County. And so just imagine, you know, (laughs) if you're a, um, you know, a parent living in one County and just over the other County line, the rules are all different. Um, So there was yeah. no consistent uh, framework in, in California for, uh, for reimbursement at all. Um, New York was fascinating because there actually is legislation in the state of New York to reimburse early intervention telepractice, but the infrastructure doesn't exist to put it into place. And so it's sort of the legislatively it can happen, but the various agencies that actually run early intervention had not um, gotten together and figured out if they wanted to do it and how. So what a...
1: <laughs> what a, It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. 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 Usually it's, you know, people like you that are like, okay, we want to do this. We want to push it forward, not the other way around. You have to, you know, the legislation's there and then you have to build the program. It seems like it's usually the other way around. Right.
2: Right. And I think the, um, the toughest part is that policymakers are often very focused on telemedicine, but mm-hmm. early intervention is is not usually front and center on their, their radar. So they may have legislation regarding telemedicine. And I think especially post-pandemic, they're going to have a big push for telemedicine. Um, but we have to be sure that early intervention is part of that discussion and and other forms of uh, teletherapy beside early intervention
0: well that uh, sort of brings up a question that i have barbara because you know within our fields of, of hearing within hearing loss the hearing loss area you, we can have teachers of the deaf right. who are providing early intervention services and speech language pathologists and then some cases you may run into audiologists, pediatric audiologists, or educational audiologists doing some 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 of that work too. The teachers of the deaf. What did you find there? Can they in Massachusetts deliver those services versus other states? So in
2: um, in Massachusetts, teachers of the deaf are uh, are qualified can be qualified to be early intervention providers. We're not talking teletherapy, but just in person. And mm-hmm. uh, teacher of the deaf services are reimbursable. And our state basically made a deal, I think, with Medicaid and with um, with private insurers to basically set a flat rate for all um providers, all specialty, we're called specialty providers, whether you're a teacher of the deaf and audiologist or a speech pathologist, um, you, the, the reimbursement rate is the same and uh, the insurers loved that. (laughs) So they weren't, it actually, they felt like they were saving money and it allowed us a lot more flexibility. But in other states, that's not the case. In other states, um, the reimbursement from insurers kind of drives who can actually provide early intervention services.
0: So we're not going to see that consistency around the, around the country. Right,
2: um, right. And I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see how, how that emerges as we go forward because, uh, for example, in the field of vision loss, Uh, the people that are providing early intervention services are almost always uh, teachers, not Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. allied health professionals. And so um, they're going to have to (laughs) sort of Mm -hmm. um, come up with a broader way of looking at who can, who can deliver services. But right now it's, again, it's really a patchwork across the States. And I know
1: There's um, quite a few early intervention programs that are also going to like a one service delivery, one um, service person delivery model too, where they have, you know, it might be that the SLP consults and then there's only one person that is their point of contact with the team. I know that there's some states that are doing that model also. And so that's another issue where we have to have that, you know, kind of think about, do we have that same level of reimbursement, whether it is the teacher or the SLP that is doing the telepractice. Right. Specifically. right. And
2: even, even the way that works, you know, in person from state to state is so different um, in, in our state in Massachusetts. And I I'm fairly certain in most of California, actually uh, teachers are considered that they can be the a primary service deliverer. In our state, in Massachusetts, uh, we actually are subcontractors with um, the generic early intervention agencies. So the the whole network of them, and then we subcontract as specialists. Um, And the nice thing is that families can actually get services from more than one specialty provider. They don't have to choose. And in the field of hearing loss, that's a big deal because um, parents are often not sure if they want to go the listening and spoken language route or uh, the ASL route or some combination. Um, And so the nice thing in Massachusetts is that families don't have to choose. They can can start working uh, with more than one specialty provider and then make a decision as the child is turning three what direction they want to go in.
0: Uh, I've always Yeah, I've always heard that um it's great to have 50 states and US ter- all these, you know, US territories, but we also have 50 different ways of doing things.
2: Yeah, exactly. And
0: and that's that's the challenge we have in the, in our great country is every state's different and and as you're finding even within the state from county to county it can be a different service model and right. I can only imagine the frustration that among the professionals and the parents, trying to figure out how to navigate all that,
2: yeah, yeah, um you know it was interesting as um, as we were doing this scan, a few states kind of stood out as potential models um, mm-hmm. that we could sort of point to um, as as our own you know as our states were, were developing their policies um, so for example, Colorado uh, really started to stand out as a model. Um, mm-hmm and we know that Colorado helped, helped push us into universal newborn hearing screening Mm -hmm. um, and really early on had pretty extensive early intervention in the, certainly in the field of of hearing loss in children. Uh, But what's really nice in, in that state is not only that, that reimbursement is available for telepractice, but also um, training and, um, and, Quality standards for um, for providing telepractice, because certainly now we're in this really interesting situation where every i was just telling Mm -hmm. telling somebody everybody and their cousin is doing telepractice during the pandemic and um we don't really know much about the quality of those those services people were forced to jump into providing teleservices without any preparation at all Um, and that you know so as we look at uh data that some people are collecting you know the the we don't know what the quality <laughs> of those services were in the preparation of those professionals. But uh, some states are are doing, a couple of states really are doing a nice job um, at least requiring some training and and uh, if not special certification, but certainly some training.
0: I think here in Ohio, they in the state licensure law for speech pathology and audiology, they say you have to be trained and have the knowledge and skills to do it. But there's, um, there's really no re you know, no enforcement for that. I mean, it's kind of like what Asha says, you know, you don't, don't do it. You know, if you don't how to, if you don't know how to treat someone ethically, you should refer them, but that doesn't always happen (laughs) Uh, because people just want to try to treat someone and collect the, the money or the, you know, the insurance without fully being, um, qualified to serve that patient. Um, And I think the same thing, especially this past year, obviously, it's a little bit different scenario with the pandemic where you really had no choice and everyone had to do telepractice, like you're saying. But uh, ideally, people should be trained before they do it. And and, uh, I think what will come out of uh, the pandemic is a bit of People rushed in and jumped in and did it, and we saw probably some really terrible services being done, uh, because people were having to literally, do, you know, go home on a Friday, come back on Monday, ready to go with telepractice, you know, and they have never done it before. Right. Um, I got a, so yeah.
2: yeah. I, I got a couple of panicky phone calls around March thirteenth, twenty twenty, from two different agencies that said, "Oh my gosh, you know, we know you've been doing it." What can you you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. What can you tell me right now on the phone that, that I need to know to prepare our our practitioners? So, you know, we had this hour-long phone conversations where I was trying to right. speak, uh, uh, download <laughs> lots mm-hmm. of information. But you're right that people had to jump in and uh, often with very little preparation. And I I think the biggest challenge has been. Um, for people that are used to providing therapy and in, in sort of a more thera- therapy clinical model um, to make the switch to a coaching model and mm-hmm. um, being a guide b- by your side, rather than the direct deliverer of services through a screen to a baby um, that doesn't come naturally to, to some people. And mm-hmm. um, learning how to be a good coach is really the, you know, what we've learned is the, is the real key to, to doing practice well.
1: I wonder if that differs, too, in those states where it is a contract provider that, you know, if it's all they're all working for one agency, then you can kind of standardize like the information that everyone in that agency is getting. And when you have contract providers, then you might have some that have, you know, a more of a coaching background and some that have more of a clinical background and Mm -hmm. that, that, that changes. Cause that's definitely been um, my experience too. I learned a lot more about coaching when I uh, moved from, you know, I had the background in auditory verbal. So I had that Background in coaching, but as far as implementing it more widely in um early intervention, I feel like coming from North Carolina to Utah and with one agency that we were all doing that, then I learned a lot more about it and implemented it more than I was before. And and from what I've heard from everyone that they changed when they went to telepractice too. Mm-hmm. They're like, I thought I was doing parent coaching. Apparently, okay. I wasn't. Well, I, you know, when we first started in
2: in We're getting ready in 2012, 2013. uh, We invited um, Arlene Stredler brown to come out and Mm -hmm. and help help, uh, train our staff. And uh, she had just given a talk. I think it was entitled, if you think you're doing family-centered practice, try telepractice. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I think um, because you cannot jump through the screen and rescue the parent, you Mm -hmm. can't. You can't help them get that hearing aid in. You can't, um, and the baby is not going to interact with you very long nope. over over the screen. So um, I think that it, what we were we were hoping to see, and I, I think we're starting to get some data to, to verify it, is that people who actually were doing coaching through telepractice found that they were coaching better in person as well um, mm-hmm. because they. They sort of had learned, had to
0: learn how to do it. I agree. It, it certainly has informed my coaching, uh, you know, over the years, uh, going from telepractice to in-person and back and forth, depending on the family. Yeah. It certainly has sort of up, upgraded the level of coaching I've done, for right. sure.
2: We also saw, and I, I think this is the exciting part, we saw definitely during the pandemic, but as we were collecting data as well earlier, we saw that some children were making much better progress when they were getting, when the family was getting teletherapy than when mm-hmm. they were just getting in-person services. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, you know, I would attribute that primarily to the fact that, you know, we we are really empowering parents in, in telepractice to be the, the main, you know, (laughs) the main people interacting with their children. And there's so much research showing how important it is, but when, when parents are, they, they are able to carry it through the rest of the day, not just when the, you know, when the specialist is there. So we, we've been saying for quite a while that, um, that teletherapy has some advantages over face-to-face, um, certainly mm-hmm. face-to-face has some advantages as well, but, um, a hybrid of the two would, you know, is really what, what we were thinking about is the ideal -hmm. if if possible
0: right yeah that's certainly sort of where i've fallen with many of my families um some families just want to come in i mean especially now post-pandemic or as we get to be move into that post-pandemic period of time um it's like they've had a little bit of uh Uh, computer overload with, you know, home teaching and, and kids being at home and on the computer. And, you know, they just want to break from all that and come in, you know, and see me. So, um, but I think the ideal is probably going to do a, it will be a hybrid of the two um, for most families.
2: Yeah. We were, so we started kind of thinking about all these advantages. Another thing that happened as we, as we were implementing this pilot project uh, in Massachusetts and then, expanding we expanded telepractice at Clark to all of our campuses and so all of our campuses are, are now doing tea visits but um we found that it was there were other things like it's easier to arrange interpreter services for families who don't have English as a first language mm-hmm. um, our state was really interested in having us do co-treatment with other specialists mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and wow was that, that was so much easier when we didn't have to have two people arriving in person at the same, <laughs> at the same right. time. Um, and so we actually tripled the number of co-treats that we were able to do. And we, when we um, started using tele, uh,
1: teletherapy. So- that's, a, that's an interesting idea too. I've been on some, um, we had a auditory uh not auditory and, um, a AAC team that we would had an OT on it and an SLP on it and usually a student intern. And sometimes we'd show up to a family's house with like six people. Oh <laughs> and my. it was a little overwhelming. <laughs> And, and it was from a university. So yeah, you usually had students with you too. And, um, just thinking about that, the like supervision, that would be so much easier over it mm-hmm. or, you know, like mentoring or someone observing a session and how much easier that would be over a telepractice session than, here we pull up to your house in a van, literally. <laughs>
0: the, the entourage. <laughs> <full of people. laughs> the entourage comes right. in
1: and and let's just have a natural interaction with your child while six of us watch you. <laughs> right, right. It's pretty.
2: Yeah, it's so intimidating for parents. And I, I've had parents say also, you know, that they love not having to worry about whether the house is clean.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs>
2: um, but you know the other the other thing that you mentioned just now, Kim, is also a huge advantage uh, that we hadn't quite thought about, and that is supervision and training. So you know we used to really struggle with how to supervise people that were doing home visits because uh, if you go out there, then it's you're another person, and and right. it's it's kind of intrusive, and mm-hmm. we we had done some recording and had people, you know, record themselves, but that also gets a little intimidating and somehow just to be able to sit together and watch, um, you know, a recorded zoom session or a FaceTime session um, was such a nice way of, of providing supervision and mentoring and actually training our graduate students too. Yeah.
0: I, I think the recording is, is, an incredible piece that people don't utilize as much.
2: Yeah. And we actually, <laughs> um, we asked our, our Brown <laughs> consultants to look into whether, uh, recording was even allowed for state to state. It looks like it is in most States. There are only uh, three or four that did not allow recording of tele, um, telemedicine
1: sessions, um, yeah, I thought that was interesting. I think Utah was one of them that didn't allow it. <laughs> right. Uh,
2: but yeah, how, how wonderful to be able to have a recording that, a, you know, the a, a parent, one parent can share with the one who wasn't able to be there or with the grandparents. who are, um, So the recording, we struggled a little bit with um, how to make sure that we're, you know, we want to make sure the recordings are, are kept securely and that uh, parents weren't going to post them on YouTube, you know. <laughs> um, right. Uh, but once we figured out some of those security measures, um, making recordings available to parents has been a huge, huge plus. It's
0: it's a great video record of the child's progress too. It's just uh, it's just a win win for everyone. I mean, able to have that.
2: Yeah, you can do language samples from the mm-hmm. recordings.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. So Barbara what what's the next uh, what's the next step with you you've compiled a lot of information here on on a national scale and I know you you are working to show the policymakers and the decision makers in Massachusetts and and probably all the campuses where you guys are, are located uh, how to you know how to better or improve uh, telepractice service delivery, especially at the early intervention level. But what do you want to get out of this study going forward?
2: Well, I think um, our th- I think our next step is to kind of hit the reset button. <laughs> you know, we were just at the point of of having um, having we actually had set up meetings with our DPH Department of Public Health partners and a couple of key people from from the the insurers, the public insurers. Um, And I think that really is our next step uh, to Mm -hmm. now come back to them and say, okay, um, here's some some information. Uh, This is, here's some states that are really doing this well. Um, Mm -hmm. Here's the data that that shows that that this is an effective and well-received mode. and find out really from them what um, what they need. Do they do they think that uh, are they ready to go without legislation or or regulation? Um, and I think my my sense is that you know one of the silver linings of the pandemic is that um, this is now just sort of more acceptable. Um, mm-hmm. But. How how we move forward, I think, is going to take um, an effort in every one of our states, again, because there is this patchwork and there is no federal um legislation or, or federal guideline. Um, so our next step really is, is to um reschedule those. <laughs> <laughs> those appointments that we had, we actually had one scheduled for March 27th or 28th, 2020, and uh, just reschedule some of those meetings. The, the uh, challenge for us is, is uh, the some of the key people have now changed. They're different people than, than the ones we worked. Right. With. We've had some retirements and uh, some new relationships to build. But I think that really is our our next step. And then at at Clark, we're going to be looking state by state at who the key players are and um, who we really need to meet with. Um, And my sense also is that um, we're going to need to to speak to our legislators directly, not not just to the insurers. Um, And one of the best ways to do that is sometimes to bring a parent along, <laughs> along mm-hmm. to the meeting with you. You know, we we are seen as sometimes having um, a particular perspective, but when mm-hmm. when legislators hear from directly from their constituents um, about the impact of these services, I think it can be really um, really an important way to get the message across. So we're really in the in the stages of of kind of taking a couple of steps back and then looking at um, who who we need to get (laughs) get Mm -hmm. face-to-face with, maybe starting with Zoom, but um, who we really need to contact and um, start, again, start up those conversations. And I think this, um, this national scan is helpful, although I think our goal really is to emphasize the um the states they're doing it particularly well and what we've learned from them
0: right see what I think can every be replicated
2: state, yeah and every state wants to be you know best practice right or pointed to as a um, as a model so um but i think the other question i and i don't know what what you're sensing but i think we need to do a better job of teaming up with the telemedicine folks, mm-hmm. um, because I think they're going to be pushing ahead with full steam. right? Um, mm-hmm.
1: okay. Yeah. I feel like we need to make our voices heard with them when they say, when they push that kind of re- legislature forward that we're not saying we're making them not forget about us. Yeah, too. Mm-hmm. yeah I know in, in our
2: state, right before the pandemic, just as we were gathering the data there, it turned out that there were three pieces of legislation before our state legislature re- re- relating mostly to telemedicine.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but, and everything I think stopped at, at that point. Um, none of right. none of that legislation went forward, but it will. And um, the more we can sort of be tag along <laughs> and mm-hmm. get the, Benefit of of um, of the telemedicine um, allies, the better.
0: Right. Well, I think one thing to 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 think about, Barbara, and I, and I don't know the answer to this, but um, you know, right now at the federal level in Congress, there's you know some big bills, hopefully working their way through Congress uh, that will be passed that will hopefully leave a lot of the 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 new allowances for telemedicine and telepractice in place, even after COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know ASHA has been a part of that in AAA and, and uh, but I don't know, I don't recall, there may be some organization there, but I don't recall any organization focusing on teachers, teachers of the deaf mm-hmm. who may be, among them, it's all. From what I recall, it was all allied health and and medicine and nursing and because you know for a lot of this, like you're saying, a lot of this uh, the the big push for telemedicine has come from the physicians because they want to practice across state lines.
2: Right. Right. And and
0: that's been uh, sort of something that they've been focused on for for years. And the American Telemedicine Association has been really pushing all that. And then the COVID hits and now everyone has jumped on. And and luckily there is, there seems to be much more of a um, re- uh, receptivity to it at the federal level, mm-hmm. but let's, you know, I'm hoping that the teachers that may be providing early intervention don't get lost in all that.
2: Right. And I, I it's a really good point. Um, and I think I, One of the things that we learned when we did this scan is that there is a consortium of states, um, not quite half of the states, but almost half of the states have formed a consortium uh, to allow for, for practice across state lines uh, for allied health professionals. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. But um, you're right that there's, there's, um, there isn't kind of the same, I guess lobbying organization um, for teachers. The the one organization I'm thinking that could be very helpful is um, the Council on Education of the Deaf, um, right. and that's part of the larger organization of the Council Council for Exceptional Children. Right, um, and possibly um, there there also may be some. Some support from organizations like the National Center for Hearing Assessment and Management, Mm -hmm. but it's going to. You're right. It's really going to take some attention to the range of practitioners Mm -hmm. (laughs) that that are are uh, qualified
0: to provide these services. That's right. Well, Barb, this has been educational for me, and we really enjoyed having you on. I think it's time now for our. moment of zen okay <laughs> as she says <laughs> um this is this is our version of the proust um questionnaire so if you ever watched uh, inside the Actor studio no nope, i never have i no, never have so you know that was on for a while on bravo and they would you know interview these actors and at the end the host would ask these 10 questions and just you just respond how you want. You can one word answers or you can elaborate as much as you want or as little as you want. Okay. okay. So, uh, we'll jump in. So what's the most used app on your phone?
2: Oh, my, uh, photos,
0: photos. Good, good. Um, what's the last TV series you streamed?
2: Uh, see, I just streamed, um, it's a it's a French TV series called uh, Call My Agent. Huh? It's about cool. it's about a, um, a talent agency in Paris.
0: Okay, cool. Uh, what's your favorite book or a favorite book?
2: Uh, favorite book right now, I'm just, you know, <laughs> just have a new favorite starting yesterday called Good. The Boy, The Mole, The Horse, and The Fox. Have you heard of it? Yes. That? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Just really um highly recommend it. It beautiful drawings and and wonderful, wonderful um ideas about life.
0: Awesome. Um what's your favorite genre of music? Uh folk. I I pictured you more of a, a meadowhead, but folk. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Um What's your favorite food?
2: Oh, it changes from, <laughs> from <laughs> moment to moment. But um, oh, favorite food one one of my favorite I'd say pasta.
0: <laughs> awesome. Um, what's your What's the most exotic place you've been, or the farthest place you've been? Farthest, um, um, actually, Israel. Uh,
2: would be Mm -hmm. the farthest. Um, We're about to uh, take a four-day trip to St. Croix. Mm -hmm. um, And so I'll let
0: you know how that goes. (laughs) That sounds great. Um, What's the scariest thing you've ever done? And, And scary can be defined in any way you want to define it.
2: Well, I would say scariest and also most rewarding is having children.
0: No one else has said that <laughs> yeah, we've
1: had that a couple of times. <laughs> the scariest
0: thing is, oh, definitely having kids is the scariest thing. A, so, Yep. Uh, what's uh, what's your pet peeve or a pet peeve? Um, I guess I, my pet peeve
2: is um, narrow thinking or um, people who are not willing to to think outside the box.
0: Mm-hmm. Very good. I I, I share that. Um, if you didn't choose your current profession, what profession would you like to try?
2: You know, it's interesting. It's changed through the years, but mm-hmm. um, I would say I would say pediatrician.
0: Very nice. That's great. And this is the only uh, one of the only questions I think that was in the original Proust. Um, <laughs> okay, Let's last one: if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates?
2: Uh, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> glad glad to have you in.
0: <laughs> um, Great, that's awesome. Well, Barbara, it's been great chatting and, and learning more about the scan and, and some of these issues related to early intervention and telepractice and to hear more about what you guys are doing at Clark. So please come back and, and give us an update in, in another six Thanks. months or so, and we'd love to check in and, and see how things are going.
2: Well, Todd, thank you. And, I, and thank you for the work you're doing. I think, you know, together we're, we're really trying to ensure that people don't think about telepractice as second best but they mm-hmm. think about it as, as um, you know, a, a really high-quality possibility um, and a way of reaching families in, in new and better ways.
0: And how could someone reach out to you if they wanted to learn more?
2: Best is my email address, and is there a way for you to send it sure. out? Yes. Uh, feel free to contact me at my Clark email address. Um, I'd love to hear from people and uh, hear, hear what others are doing and, and see how we can work together.
0: That's great. Well, thank you again, Barbara. Good luck with everything.
2: Thank you. Thank you. And Kim, thank you as well.
0: It's always great catching up with Barbara. She's someone that I've always admired, and it was wonderful to have some time to talk to her and catch up, but also to learn more about the National Scan on State Early Intervention Telepractice Policies. She and her staff at the Clark Schools for Hearing and Speech, and in collaboration with, of course, Brown University's Master of Public Affairs program. But they were able to look at all 50 states and look at the early intervention services that are being provided and who's able to provide those services through telepractice and who's not. You know, which state has more policies or regulations in place and which ones do not. So this is just a treasure trove of great information about all 50 states and how they are handling early intervention services and delivering them through telepractice or not. And and so it's a great resource. So reach out to Barbara, and if you want more information, I'm sure she'll be able to steer you in the right direction. And with that, thank you for joining us today on the podcast. Please leave us a five-star review. That always helps us to attract new subscribers and to increase the number of people that get to hear information about telepractice and, and really the, the successes that can come out of this service delivery model. And with that, uh, thank you again. Uh, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.